Thanks, Matt. You know, I have to say, when Matt said, seat back in front of you, you know what it made me think of? How similar church announcements are to in-flight announcements. So, and really, I mean, you're talking about the, you know, the table out here, you know, you're going to find it at the doors over here, the giving boxes. I mean, I really think hopefully next week Matt can't get that out of his head. And, and, and just the more he tries to not make it an in-flight announcement, the more it becomes that way as he starts telling you guys how to like strap in and stuff. Um, so we're going to um, spend some time in the Word this morning, and we're going to spend some time talking about vision. And vision is a picture of things ahead, of things in the future. Now, we said last week that we had to split it up into two weeks. So this is kind of an old slide. This is back when we were planning on cramming into one Sunday morning where we're, where we're going and where we've been. And we were like, we can't do that all on one Sunday morning. So let's talk about where we've been and the things that God's been doing, and let's celebrate some things, which is what we did last week. And what a great, amazing service that was of celebration. But, and, and a lot of what we did last week was we really just shared some stories and we even um, heard from some different people, some pastors and stuff. Um, and, uh, uh, and one of the things that we sort of celebrated was, uh, well, we celebrated people coming to faith, people becoming disciples, people making disciples and responding to the call to disciple each other. Um, we also uh, talked about and celebrated just uh, people hearing God. Um, even as Raylene uh, got up uh, and shared, our new children's pastor, about really God speaking to her and the way that he's spoken to her throughout her life and her story. And that kind of like reminder to us that God is uh, speaking. We're often so busy trying to write down this story for ourselves that we're like, no, God, I'm good. I, I've got down what I think it needs to be. Um, and, uh, and so one of the things we celebrated was just the fact that God is actually uh, alive here and speaking to us and the Holy Spirit is alive, which is a thing that we actually remind, we want, we want to be reminded of um, because even though the Bible tells us that happens and we, we believe in our heads that that happens, we often forget that that's the thing we can expect. Well, there were too many stories um, that we could even fit into like one, one week. And so there were a few left over and we wanted to share a few of them this morning as well. So they're going to be kind of like, well, I have one kind of at the beginning and one at the end of our message this morning. But um, I wanted to give you guys an opportunity to hear something that um, Fran Hart uh, came in and uh, kind of shared this with me at one point in various stages as God was speaking to her about something. And I thought, you know, she shared this with our church council, uh, Fran's on our church council, and, um, and we thought, you know, this is exactly the kind of thing that we want to be able to uh, give her the opportunity to share, even to the whole church, as God's speaking to her. So Fran said she'd be willing to do it, but she said, I got to stand there. And, and this is the stuff I need. So I want to welcome up Fran Hart, and she's going to share with you guys kind of her story of God speaking to her. So Fran. One thing I had to ask Matt is, if he's old and grumpy, I wonder what that makes me. <laughs> Need it up. How's that? Better? My story is kind of unique and a little bit unusual, I think. About a few months ago, I'm sitting in my family room, very quietly, nothing on my mind, and out of the blue, I hear three words. Those words are, visit other churches. And I thought, ah, Francis Hart, you're losing it. 
Where is this coming from? So I thought, okay, it would not go away. And then in addition to that, the about two weeks later, I'm awakened in the middle of the night, and there is two more words, and it says, leave church. I thought, that hurts my heart, Lord. But I thought, okay, I'll continue forward. But I wanted, it was important to me personally to let our lead pastor know what I was doing had nothing to do with the church, but it was just what I felt the Lord wanted me to do. At the end of our meeting, Ed said to me, if you have to leave the church after visiting other churches, that's what you have to do. I thought, great. So I thought, okay, Lord, I will continue to do as you ask, visit other churches. But before I do that, what are you telling me? What do you want me to learn from this? So I thought, I prayed about that, and I thought, okay, three criterias. One, listen to the message. That's the most important. Two, listen to the music, because I, I like the music. And three, look at the congregation, peruse the congregation. So with those three guides, I moved forward. I streamed one church and physically attended four different church services. I finished that up and I said, Lord, I will leave my church if that's what you want me to do. However, I need some guidance here, please. What church do you want me to go to? The four or five that I visited or perhaps one that I haven't visited? And there was silence, absolute silence. I prayed down on my knees a lot, and I tried to listen very carefully. Still, nothing. So I thought, okay, Lord, I will look at your other command, leave church. And this is what I came up with, and I felt comfortable that the Lord would tell me differently, if necessary. And that is, he was telling me to leave the old church behind and move forward to the new identity of Oregon City Evangelical Church. I felt at peace with that, and I was very comfortable that if he didn't want me to do that, then he would let me know. So that has my story, and I have to share one thing with you before I close. Uh, one of the message, a message that was given to me by a family member just for me. And the message was, it's okay to look back, just don't stay there. Thank you very much for your kind attention. Thanks, Fran. The danger of Fran speaking first is that you're going to be like, oh, great, now, now this. Um, we want more Fran. You know, I'll tell you, when Fran comes in your office and sits down and says, the Lord told me these two things. He said, visit other churches and then leave church. It makes you strongly reconsider everything you've ever done. You go, what in the world? I think I want to leave church with her, if that's what God's telling Fran Art to do. And... Um, 
you know, months went by, and as we talked again, um, and Fran shared this experience with me and eventually with our church council, I thought, you know, Fran is somebody who's a fairly, she had been feeling fairly content here at our church. And when we talk about celebrating the things that God's done, and we talk about vision and things moving forward, just a huge reality of when we talk about the future of anything that we're a part of is that a big part of really embracing the future is sometimes letting go of the things that have come before. And it doesn't mean lessening those things or not being able to celebrate those things and appreciate those things um, because they're a part of our lives and they're who we are. But it's often a lot harder to really embrace what's ahead than we often think that it is. And I think that's what Fran was experiencing and what she was speaking to. And as she shared that with us, and we thought this is something sort of unique and we're celebrating that God is speaking to the people of our church and that he is uh, giving us guidance and direction, when is the best time to, to, to be able to, to share that story and to celebrate that thing? And it seemed like this is the perfect time, right in between the time where we talk about, you know, celebrating the things that we've done and talking about what it looks like um, to move forward with, with excitement and really embracing who it is that we are in this church moving forward. Our church has a long, amazing history as a church. And we celebrate that, but at the same time, we constantly ask that question, God, where are you leading us next and on into the future? I want to talk this morning about community. We are a very isolated people and a very isolated culture. I don't think we've ever been more isolated than we are now. And I mean that as in individuals, each and every one of us, we are further away from this idea of living together in community as a, as a culture, as a group of people than I think we've ever been before. And there are so many different reasons why we are as disconnected as we are. We live in an individualistic culture, which basically says, I'm going to be judged by what I do with my own individual personal life. In fact, my value and my worth is more tied up in my ability to distinguish myself from being good, even apart from everybody else. I need to be able to rise up above the pack. And that leaves us thinking not much about the pack, other than the fact that that's the group I need to rise up beyond, or that's the group I want to distinguish myself from, or if you think in terms of your children or the next generation, what it means to truly be a good person or to be a valuable person, a contributing person in this world, is to be somebody who's matters more than maybe everybody else. That's an individualistic world, the kind of thing that we're driven by. And it leads us to a place of needing to focus more on our own personal needs than on the needs of all the people collectively around us. We live in a busy culture. There was a congressional, uh, there was a group that met in Congress in the late 1960s, and the purpose of this special group that was, that was sort of brought together was to discuss what they saw as a looming crisis in America. And the looming crisis was this. With technology and innovation on the rise at unprecedented rates, it was predicted that people would have so much leisure time in the future that we were going to have to redo the way that we handled our entire economy, especially our leisure economy. People were only going to have to work like three days a week. Summer vacations were going to have to get longer. What was predicted was uh, this 
utopia in which because we could do more, more easily, we could be more productive with less effort, that we would just have all this time to spend together. Fast forward to today. Does it feel like having a phone in your pocket that can do more than any computer could do 15 years ago makes you less productive, or sorry, makes you somebody who has more time or less time? Do you feel that the pace of your life has gotten busier and more hectic now that you're connected to everyone all the time? The fact that we can do more means we're actually busier than we've ever been before. We're attempting to accomplish more than we've ever attempted to accomplish before. We didn't end up in a place of four-day weekends. We ended up in a place of one-day weekends. We're a busy culture. And because of that, community is something that most of us don't simply have time for. We're a politically divided culture. And in a politically divided culture, politics, dealing with the issue of how things ought to be run, how things ought to be going, what we find is that rather than looking out and seeing so many neighbors, it's a lot easier these days to look out and see so many opponents or enemies. Even if we try not to, it's hard to ignore that it feels that there are so many people who literally want the opposite of what we want the world to be. It's hard to find community to live life in the midst of other people when so many other people feel more like opponents than potential neighbors and friends. Then COVID comes in. It says, stay away from each other. Shuts down life. We all get good at working from home, church from home, school from home. Virtually anything that you could do from home, we have figured out how to do from home. We were going to, the central piece of our Saturday yesterday, this is how ambitious we are as a family, was to get frozen yogurt. And my son told all of us, good news, they'll deliver it here. (laughs) And I was like, they deliver everything everywhere now. Because that's the world we live in. COVID comes, and does it increase this feeling of community? No. In fact, we're cautious. We're worried. We're hesitant. It's actually unsafe to be near other people. And or at least it has been for so long that the idea of others, of closeness, of more, is overwhelming and unnatural to us. It doesn't feel quite right. You take all of that and you add what technology has given us the ability to do. Why could we work from home? Why could we have church at home? Why can we do school from home? Why can we do all of these things now in a way that we couldn't do before? We are able to be more isolated because we have the technology to do it. And while technology has helped us do wonderful things that we wouldn't have been able to do, we were able to stay connected as a church through a video camera and your computers For so long, it also makes it possible for us to be so disconnected from each other without necessarily seeing it that way. That becomes normal life. That becomes regular life. Technology doesn't just make it possible for me to have a relationship with you without actually being with you. It makes it possible for me to 
present someone to you that's a little bit better than what you'd experience if you were sitting right across from me. I can be careful about the parts of me that you see, the sides of me that you see, the aspects of my personality. I can edit out in Photoshop and, and delete, in my case, delete sentences that you probably don't need to hear anyway. I can rehearse who I am. And technology gives me the ability to do that, but that makes it very hard to have real community with other people and real relationships. The result of all of these things is honestly, and I'm not exaggerating here, it's the most reasonable way to live is apart from other people. I mean, if I want to do well in life, in this world in which I live right now, one of the biggest sacrifices I'd have to make is to be with other people consistently, to be living in community with other people on a regular basis. It seems to make everything harder. It makes the fights worse. It makes me, my blood gets pumping more than it needs to. It seems like being by myself or with a very select few of people or with my family alone, it really does seem like that would be the best way to go, does it not? There's a reason why when people pick wallpaper for their computers, they're like computer desktop. It's like a lone cabin in the woods. It's an empty beach. It's a jungle with no one in it. There's a reason Bob Ross paints a single cabin and nothing else. Thomas Kincaid paints the smallest village that you could ever actually want to live in. There's a, these are not pictures of Times Square, traffic jams in L.A. It makes sense to us to be away from people, it seems. But what we encounter when we look in God's Word and it talks about what it means to really live, to really thrive, to really be who God intended us to be, is it talks about something very different from this. And I want to look at just a couple verses in a prayer that Jesus prayed to the Father, the, the high priestly prayer is what it's called, in, in John, John 17. In these few verses, we see something that I almost guarantee you that you would probably go right past if you weren't thinking about it and paying attention to it, and it is this. Jesus says in John 17, he's praying for his disciples, He's about to be crucified, and he's praying, God, would you just take care of these people for me, because I'm not going to be here anymore, and he's praying for them. Well, he's now, in this very first verse that we're going to read, I'll just explain it before we read it, because it'll make a little bit more sense if I do, he's going to switch from praying for the disciples, the people he personally has known, to praying for all the people who are going to come to faith through the disciples, basically praying for the whole church, praying for all the people who would ever call themselves Christians and believers from this point on. And here is his prayer. He says, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word and that they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. 
So if you were to really stop and look very carefully, it was each, at, at the, even the theology behind or that, is, that is contained within these few verses, what Jesus is explaining about the way that we operate, about the way that we are, who we're intended to be in him and in God, is incredibly powerful and speaks to this exact issue. What Jesus is saying is he's saying, Father, my prayer for them, all these believers that would come, is that they would be united with one another in the way that I'm united with you. And that through me, basically, God, you're connected to me, I'm connected to them, they're connected to each other, and that's how everyone stays connected. And he goes even a step further and says, in the same way that I'm connected to you, that I am one with you, Father, Jesus and the Father are as connected as two could be, that they, my prayer is that they would be connected to each other in that same way. That, that each believer who becomes a believer, each person who becomes a part of the church across the world from this point on in time, that they would be as unified with each other, living in the midst of one another in community to such a degree that it's like as close as I am with you, God. That's pretty close. You can't separate out Jesus and the Father. You can't. You take away part of him. You take away, really, the essence of who he is. And in the same way, Jesus doesn't say, you should, I, I hope these people are united, you know, like good friends would be close. I hope that these people are able to be close because that's a good thing to do. He says, my prayer is that they would experience this unity because this is the basis of how I'm going to be connected to everyone since you're connected to me. What Jesus is saying here is very different from how we often think of ourselves as, as believers, as Christians. We think of following Jesus as an entirely individual pursuit. Now, theologically, the Bible teaches us that salvation is an individual thing. That I experience salvation. I can only repent for myself. I can only come to God myself. I can't do it for anyone else, and no one else can do that for me. But that as, as becoming a believer, a part of the family of God, is an individual endeavor, we need people for all the rest. In fact, uh, this idea of being a lone believer, of being a person who is pursuing a, a personal relationship with Jesus disconnected from other people, is not something that you see in the Bible. What you see in the Bible instead is people who are totally dependent on and connected with these relationships with other believers. The only way to truly flourish in the way that God intended us to is to be in community with each other, to be united together with one another. When we think about Jesus, we often think of him as this guy who went off to pray and spent a bunch of time in solitude, because the Bible talks about that in the Gospels. The reason why it makes it a point to talk about that is because of all the other times that he wasn't doing that. If Jesus didn't get up early, you know this if like you have kids or something, because it's one of the things you said you were going to do, and then you probably were never able to do, because that's what happens when you have kids. They keep you up at night. But you say, if I want any time to myself... You basically get nap time. When that goes away, everything's off the table. If I want any time to myself, I'm waking up early. I'm going to get up early, and I'm going to go away, and I'm going to get my time with God. Why? Because there's going to be people and stuff all the rest of the day. That was Jesus' life. His life wasn't constant solitude retreats. 
He had to carve those times out because he was on a camping trip with 12 guys all the time. These meals were huge. This was a big sleep out, sleepover under the stars. This was lots of people, lots of crowds, lots of activity constantly. It's why his time with God was so necessary for him. When God wanted to use Abraham to bless the world, he made him into a nation of people. Ants need a colony. Bees need a hive. These are organisms that do not exist on their own. If they try, they fail. To live the Christian life, we cannot live in an isolation from one another. So what do we do then? Okay, fine, if community is good, if community is valuable, if it's something that we need, what he's essentially saying here is, I need you and you need me. We need one another. If we hope to to be the people that Jesus intends for us to be, if we hope to follow him, then we need each other. We need community. The Bible says community actually does complete us. It's an indispensable part of our life. I can't say that I'm following Jesus if I'm walking somewhere alone. Because that's not where he was going. I'm going in a different direction. You say, I'm an introvert, I'm not an extrovert. You need community even more than anybody else. Extroverts, they'll take care of themselves half the time. I went to the grocery store with my mom last weekend. It took like 14 hours. (laughs) Because my mom talked to everybody. I mean, like best lifelong friends you would think. uh, With people that we met in the produce section of the store over the fact that they finally brought out the thing of dill to make the pickles. Uh, It was like... It was like a communal experience being at this grocery store. I knew everyone when I walked out of it because my mom's an extrovert. She's going to be fine. If you, know that, if you know anything about introverts, if you're an introvert, you know if you don't take steps to actually put yourself in front of a group of people consistently, then you really probably won't have people in your life. It's too overwhelming to do all the other big stuff that most people often do. So no, it's not just for extroverts. So if community is important and if we need it, even though we live in a culture in which we are so isolated and it would be easier, it would be easier to just do things on our own or to find a couple of people who we're most comfortable with and say, I'm going to spend my life with this, whether that's even just our family. If what the Bible says is true, we need community if we're going to flourish, then where in the world do we find it? If we're convinced that this is something that we need, we spend so long often looking for the right community. If we're convinced that we need it and we care about having it, then you probably know what it's like to be disappointed to not know where to find it. We look and look and look and we can't find it. We make different friends and we don't have it with them. Many of us feel disappointed or disillusioned with the fact that our own families, as we, grow, as we grow up and live more of life, we feel like we have less and less community with them. Now who is there? We go from church to church to church, group to group, school to school, maybe hoping to find it there, not finding it there. The reason that we don't find community, 
when we look for it and we often end up giving up is because community isn't something that is found, it's something that is built. I want to read you a quote from an author, a pastor, who was writing about this passage, this part of the high priestly prayer in 1 John 17. He says this, As Jesus saw it and prayed for it, it was to be precisely that unity which convinced the world of the truth of Christianity and of the place of Christ. It is more natural for human beings to be divided than to be united. It is more human for them to fly apart than to come together. Real unity between all Christians would be a supernatural fact which would require a supernatural explanation. There's a reason we can't find community when we look for it, because it's nearly impossible to make. It is so rare for people to actually do this that it's hard to find. And because it's rare, we even go to the church expecting to fall into it, to find it there, only often disheartened to feel like it's not what we hoped it would be. That's because community isn't found. It's built. God gives us the pieces that we need to build community together. And it's up to us to build it. Why do we? Why should we? Because of how vital it is in our lives. I've never in my life met a healthy Christian, a growing Christian, who is separated from community. And when I say that, I don't mean who doesn't go to church. Because I've met Christians who go to church, who go to church every week. I've met Christians who go to small groups every week sometimes, who go to Bible studies as often as they can, but still are not healthy because real community hasn't been built. God gives us everything that we need to build community, but some assembly is definitely required. The first thing that we need, here we go, to build community, I'm going to tell you three things, okay? There, I'm going to give you some warning. I'm going to tell you three things. The first thing that we need to build community has to do with the foundation of this community. We're going to read a lot of scripture here because, well, that's what we should do when we talk about our vision. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. This is up Paul right, sorry. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. This is the gospel. And what the gospel says is the gospel reminds us as we go back to it again and again of who we were before Christ saved us. You were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That's who you were before this wonderful person, the, the ultimate sacrifice, 
Christ came into your life. And because of the good news that Jesus paid the price for your sins and you could be forgiven and become a part of the family of God from that point on, now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. If you go on and read the few verses that follow this, Christ is described as a cornerstone. The first thing in community is this. It says it right here. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. You are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. You are now part of this thing. You're now brought in with these people. It's built on this foundation, and Christ is the cornerstone. God gives us the components that we need to build real community, and the first thing is Jesus is our cornerstone. We can be different in every other way, but we are the same in that way. The kind of community Jesus is praying about, the unity he's praying about in John 17 when he prays to the Father is based on life in him. You and I can see a lot of things differently. We can be very different people. We can have very different outlooks on the world. We can have completely different senses of humor even. But if Christ is in you and Christ is in me, he is the cornerstone of community, of our real community that we're given. This is the first step. This is the first thing. This is why the truest community that we will experience is Christian community, because Christ is the cornerstone of it. We are like a group of survivors of a terrible disaster. But the disaster is all of our attempts to live without Jesus. And even in the midst of growing up around people who talk about Jesus and worship Jesus, so many of us still found ourselves in the wreckage of our efforts to live lives without him. And because he rescued us and saved us and gives us life and hope, we can be united in our desperate need for him and our dependence on him, the life that we only find in him and nothing else. The next component of community is a little bit more practical than this. It has to do with what community physically does and looks like. And we read about it in a passage that has gained a whole new, more recent popularity in our world as the question of church and gathering has come up over the last 18 months, and we've been limited in our ability to do that. Hebrews 10 says this, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. That's right, we're supposed to be stirring each other up just for good things, like love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together, 
as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Second part of community is simple. It's kind of a non-negotiable. We gather. Then after that, we gather again. And then after that, we gather again. And when it gets difficult to gather, we remain. We stay. We continue. Community cannot be built without us being together. It's not just a theoretical thing. We have to physically show up in each other's lives in order to have community. You can't just study and talk about the concept of community and get it that way. It's got to be lived. It's got to be experienced. It's like love in that way. This is why the author of Hebrews is saying to the church, reminding them, here's what it looks like for you guys to be in each other's lives. And he goes as far as to say, don't give up meeting together as some have grown in the habit of doing. Why? Because community is hard. There were reasons people had given up meeting together. Some were too busy, but most of the time it was because they disagreed about things and they thought they could find community or life in some other place somewhere else. We asked this question a lot in the last 18 months as we couldn't meet for a while as a church. Churches all over the country are asking that question. All over the world are asking this question. What does it mean to meet together? How important is it to meet together? And what we find is that when we lose the opportunity to meet together, we all of a sudden realize how important it is to meet together. But then we also have lots of ways to not meet together, right? And I'm not just talking about gathering here on a Sunday morning because this is a limited form of community. We have now, through our ability, with technology especially, we're able to be connected to so many people without physically connecting with people, without being in the room with people. At this point, a phone call is like an offense, right? If you're texting someone and they call you, that's like the worst thing that they could do. It's like, whoa, that, that, no, 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 no. I wasn't committing to something like that, okay? We're just texting back and forth. Don't overstep the boundaries here, right? That's too close even to being together. Technology has given us this incredible ability to be connected with each other, but technology is a medium. Is media. And media comes from the word medium, which means a thing in between that connects two things. So media can be a great thing. Social media, church media, there's all kinds of helpful media. It can be a very effective way of connecting to people who wouldn't otherwise be connected. It's a bridge. It's a medium. It goes in between. But here's how it works. If I don't know you, and media gives me the ability to now meet you. Media has brought us together. If I know you and I connect with you only through media, media is now keeping us apart. It is something in between me and you. And the great thing about it is, well, there's some things I like about that, right? I like that I get to think a little bit more about how I'm presented to the friends in my life. I, get, I like that I get to think a little bit more about all the information that they know about me or things they know about me, right? Wouldn't pastors like to be able to uh, have a couple of takes, right, before sending out the final product? Turned out we didn't like that very much. It made us all just kind of crazy, hence the weird newscasts and 
Pastor Dave and I in suits sitting on the Starship Enterprise deck, go back and watch it. It was us losing our minds because we thought it would be good to get a couple extra takes. It wasn't good for us at all. We like to believe that all the technology that we have gives us the ability to be closer to each other. How often do people use that phrase, we're connected, we're a connected world, we're a connected people? There is no doubt in my mind that most of the time, most of the media that connects us to each other is keeping us away from each other. It's keeping us distant from each other. It's giving us not the real picture and not the real thing. In order for us to have community that is real, we have to physically sit down with one another. We have to physically meet in groups together. We have to physically pray for each other, and we have to physically worship together. These are things that we do, and then we do again, and then we do again, and then we do again. And when it gets old, or when it gets difficult, or when it gets challenging because of some of the personalities, or because of the way that we all sing when we sing together, or because of the compromises that it means making when you all gather together, we remain we hang in there because we know that that is an important part of being in community. The last thing that we do, the last component of community is this. We read about it in Philippians 2. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each one of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Having this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who... Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. What we do is we sacrifice for each other. We are built on the foundation of Christ, the cornerstone. We gather together and we give for each other. We sacrifice for each other. There's a reason that we read this in Philippians and why you've probably heard it many times. is because it seems that the defining characteristic of the Christian is humility. And that humility has a perfect example of what it looks like. Because our first reason for not wanting to be humble is, well, maybe I shouldn't have to be humble. I mean, I'll be humble when I need to be humble. But if I'm with this person, I don't need to be humble because they're not as good as me or I'm better than them. Or, or when I'm with these people, I don't need to sacrifice and give of myself because there's all kinds of reasons why that wouldn't make any sense. Let's talk about Jesus. No, no, no. Let's not talk about Jesus. Let's talk about something else. No, let's talk about Jesus because here's how he sacrificed. Even though he was God, he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, which means what Jesus showed us is you can sacrifice for other people without it diminishing who you are. It doesn't take away from your value. It doesn't make you worth less. That's not how it works at all. When we come together, we are confronted with the needs of other people. And the only way that community can happen the way it's intended to is that we sacrifice for each other. And that's not easy. We sacrifice for the needs of one another. It's not an easy or a natural thing to do. It's very often that this is the point at which we back out of community because we go, I just can't do that. It doesn't take long in close proximity with other people to realize you don't all want the same things. You don't all need the same things. 
In traditional cultures where people were less individualistic, you actually saw your own worth and value um, being the result of the amount you could sacrifice for other people. There was this feeling of a common good that everyone had. And if I can sacrifice of myself for that common good, then I've done well. It's a hard thing for us in an individualistic culture where we think, no, it's more about how I look and appear at the end of the day, how, what, I've, what I've done and accomplished by myself on my own that makes me significant in this world in which I currently live. We often mistake serving each other for sacrificing for each other. Serving is an important part of community. It's an important part of life together. I serve you, which means I do something for you. I give to you. I help you in a way that benefits your life. Sacrifice is kind of on a whole other level because sacrifice says, I give to you, I help you, I'm for you when it's costly to me. This is why Jesus is our example. And this is why you can't have community just based on service alone. Because the point at which it's costly for each one of us is the point at which we often walk away and say, I can't do that for that person. I can't give that up for that person. I can't give what it is that they need. But sacrifice actually helps us flourish. We are refined and shaped and formed into being more like Jesus as we sacrifice for each other. We are growing in our faith as we give to one another, as we make room for the needs of each other, as we find ways to accommodate each other. That is such a huge part of us growing, which is why Jesus prayed to the Father that these people would experience this kind of unity. The good news is, we're not talking about community like it's something none of us have ever experienced and like it's something that we're not even necessarily experiencing in our church now. We are at a time in which we probably all feel more isolated than we've ever felt before. But the truth is that as a church, we've, I think it's always been a big part of our identity to build community together. Uh, the first part, you could say, of the vision of our church, of where we're going, of, of who we even are, is this. We're a group of people who are building a community. We are here together right now because we're building community together. We're not here for what we can take. We're here for how we can give to one another. We're here because God calls us to come together, to meet together, and then to go and do it again, and then to go and do it again. We're here to share life with one another, and we're here built on the cornerstone and the foundation of Jesus himself. We, as a church, are making great strides and investing great and tremendous effort and will continue to do so to build a community together. Community doesn't just happen on its own. We have to choose to make it happen together. And that's a priority for our church. We find ways to gather together, but we find ways to do it around God's word with Christ as the cornerstone. We find ways to sacrifice and serve for each other. We are willing to accommodate the needs of each other, even when that's inconvenient for us. And we're willing to remain even when it gets old. 
or we're just simply worn out by it. And you may hear that and you might say, but Ed, aren't we supposed to be a church of missionaries? Aren't we supposed to be a church of people who are reaching out, who are reaching beyond ourselves? Isn't that who we are as a church and what you've said so many times before that we are called to do? Yes. Isn't building a community just about us? Isn't building a community just about how we invest and help everything inside the walls of this church? It certainly could be. But what we're doing and what we're going to do and what we're going to invest in doing and what will be the identity of our church is that we're building a community for the purpose of reaching an entire community. Because we are called to reach people. The church was brought together with the Great Commission driving us. And we believe that the absolute best way to reach our community is by using community. You could call this the tagline of our church if you want. At Oregon City Evangelical Church, we are building a community to reach a community. And those aren't just words that kind of sound nice and have to do with each other. If we were only building a community together, we would be focused too much on ourselves, not fulfilling the Great Commission, and disobedient to who God called us to be. But if we were only focused on reaching other people, then we would not be able to experience the kind of community that Christ calls us to as a church. We have to make it a priority to come together. We have to make it a priority to sacrifice and love one another. The fact is, something that has inspired me and made me want to dedicate my life to serving in the local church is that I have found that if you want to know where you can get real community, you can find it in a church. Not every church, that's for sure. We are good at building community. Amen. <laughs> Amen. We are going to reach people by bringing the thing that they need most at a time when people have it the least to them. We're not the only ones feeling isolated. Everyone is. We're not the only ones who have disconnected. Everyone is. And so our goal is to bring community to people outside the walls of the church and to invite people into the community that we have. Which means we make a concerted effort as a church to not have community that we can't invite people into. To make it a point to do everything that we do in a way that we could potentially bring in and invite other people into. That we can make our community accessible to those who aren't a part of it yet. But that's not enough. Because we are called to be a people who are sent. When Jesus brought the disciples together, it was very early in their ministry that he sent them out two by two into the surrounding areas and basically fed them to the wolves and said, now come back and report on what you did. And they were amazed at how much God and the Holy Spirit empowered what they were doing. Well, that's how much God empowered what they were doing at that time. They were amazed at the things that happened when they went out feeling completely incapable of doing it to bring the good news of the gospel to other people. We are a people who are sent, which means we don't just expect people to come here, we go to them. 
And what we go to them with is different than what we used to go to them with. Because if you know anything about the history of Christianity in our country, if you've grown up as a Christian and you're, you know, mature, we'll say that, then you know, you remember what it was like at a time when people said, I want what those Christians have, and I want, I want the values that that place teaches, and, and I want the kind of life that that can produce, and I want the kind of family that has the word Jesus stamped on it. That's kind of a part of the whole package here. We don't live in that world anymore. We don't live in that country anymore. In fact, uh, people look at the values of the church much of the time and say, that's the last thing I want. People themselves have had experiences with, with, uh, with religion or with, with people who have abused religion or have heard enough about it badly that they've said, oh, that's not something I have any interest in at all. The last place that I can find peace, that I can find hope or joy or love or faith is at a place like the church, many people think. People will not come to church for the values that the church has. And won't come to church to learn how to be good people. And if you go knock on someone's door and say, can I tell you about Jesus? Chances are they'll be like, yeah, I've heard of him. Thanks. But what we do have that people want and need is community. We know how to do community. And we want to get better at it and we want to bring it to other people. The vision of our church is this. What that looks like is to continue to do many of the things that we focused on doing already. To reach out to people who we see who are isolated. People who are marginalized. People who don't have any hope of being connected in any kind of community. There are people in our community here who are living in total isolation. Who are withering away in loneliness. Some people have chosen this, other people haven't chosen this. It's just the hand that they've been dealt. It's where they found themselves in life. Some of these people are probably easy to be around. Some of these people are probably not very easy to be around. These people need community. The next time the lights go out, the electricity shuts off. The next time the tree freezes over and falls down, the next thing the fires come rolling in. Who will be there for these people? We know that we'll be there for each other because we work on community regularly and we're committed to it. But how can we bring it to those who don't have it, which is most people outside the church, I believe. Our world has poor imitations for community and they don't deliver and they don't last and they don't fulfill. They leave us longing for more and wanting more. So our goal as a church is to go out and to create community out there and to bring people to it in here. There's a lot of different ways that we do that. One of the things that uh, Pastor Matt announced is that we are doing this thing called a play day later this week. And maybe of all the announcements that you saw, that popped up and you went like, what? A play day? Why would we do that? Surprisingly enough, when we started doing these things, where we simply opened the doors of our church, especially when inclement weather, and we said to moms of young kids, uh, you're welcome to come in and just have fun with your kids in our building. We'll give you a dry place to bounce in a bounce house, drink some coffee, and play around. That's really it. That's all it is. 
We're going to give you an opportunity to have some community. Moms feel isolated. Moms feel alone much of the time, especially when the rainy weather comes in. And it gave us an opportunity to create some community for people that might not otherwise have it. We were shocked at how many people showed up who had never walked through the doors of this church or another church, how many moms came with multiple kids, and how many moms told their friends to come with kids. Why? Because it was an opportunity for community. And because that's a way for us to reach out to the people in our neighborhood and in our community. We're going to keep doing as many things like this as we can, and we want you to help us make these things happen. We're going to start to have small groups that, we are, that, are, that are as inclusive as humanly possible to people on the outside of these groups. It's hard. It's hard to build community and have it be meaningful community, but also be able to invite other people into it. And this is something that we're going to do and that we're serious about doing. We're going to throw parties with people because guess what? It's starting to get okay to be together again, but people don't know how to do it. So if anyone's going to get the people together on a block, it's going to be people from this room. When the Hohenseys realized that the people in their cul-de-sac couldn't have church on Mother's Day weekend, it was them and another neighbors who got together and said, let's make church happen. Let's do church together. We know how to make that happen. We've been helping to do it for years. We're going to continue to go out as missionaries, and we're going to create community amongst people, bring them together, show them that we know how to do this thing. And through doing that, we're going to bring them the good news of the gospel. We talked last week about what it looks like when a person just sits down and talks with another person about Jesus, about something spiritual. We talked last week about these pretty incredible examples of people giving their life to Christ and being willing to lead their families for Jesus for future generations because they sat down with another person who said, let's have a conversation about these things like repentance and, and remaining and believing and what that even looks like. What you mean when you use the word faith or hope and what I mean when I use that word. We realize doing that that it's actually a lot more uncomfortable than we often think to even have those conversations with our own Christian friends. But as we've started working on having them with each other, we're going to be better at having them with other people in community as we try to bring them in, as we try to have relationships with them. We're going to get better at listening to people rather than maybe talking quite as much as we feel like we need to all the time, hearing their stories and drawing them out because that's a huge part of community. We're going to get better at seeing people that we don't otherwise see. One of the highlights um, for our pastors is as soon as like, things started to open back up again, and uh, Barry Park reached out to us, which is a senior community here in Oregon City, right down the street from our house. They said, that, you know, that we talked to the social calendar planner there, and uh, she was talking to Pastor Jimmy, our visitation pastor, and talking to our other pastors, and scheduled us to come and do these Sunday services there. And she said, you guys can do whatever you want here. You can send people here, and they can do whatever. You don't get that kind of an invitation in most places, but this is a group of people who have been isolated for quite a while now, who already find themselves feeling somewhat isolated, a group of people who are often feeling alone and are feeling marginalized, and they're not, they're some of the better connected seniors living in our community. There are senior citizens living alone in Oregon City who have no one to help them, who have no one to take care of them, who have no one to reach out to them to provide community for them, and we want to do that here. We had a local school reach out to us and ask us if we would help them build a teacher's lounge. Uh, they had a space, kind of an outdoor courtyard space, 
And the idea was that their teachers could have a place to go that was sort of outdoors when they're on breaks, sort of near their teacher's lounge. And we're gonna build a teacher's lounge for some teachers so that they can just have community together because uh, it's been kind of a rough couple years and it's still pretty rough if you're a teacher right now. And they might like an isolated courtyard where they can go and just hide. The question that we have to ask is this. Are we willing to share the thing that is so valuable to us here? Or are we just going to keep it for ourselves? I, I, I wanted to have one more story for you guys to hear, and it's not super long. But it's actually one from Pastor Matt, so yeah, it'll be long because he's a pastor. Um, you'll be like, just have Fran give it. Can Fran give it? Um, it'll be better and shorter. No, sorry. This is just what we do. Um, Pastor Matt, I wanted him to come up and share with you kind of something. As he and I were talking about this, he was kind of saying, you know, this has been my experience with community. And as a pastor, he kind of spends a lot of time working with community anyway. So Pastor Matt's going to share, and then I'm going to wrap this up, and then we're going to spend some more time worshiping this morning. All right, I'll make this quick. Um, it was back in the spring. Uh, we were meeting with our uh, small group, and we were talking about, I don't even remember what the whole conversation was about. I remember the question, though. The question was, uh, what are you reluctant to pray to God about? Because you're afraid he might ask you to give it up. And we talked about that for a while, and uh, I admitted to the group uh, that I had trouble praying for our group uh, because our group was something that I didn't want God to ask me to give up. Uh, it, it was something that had come to mean uh, quite a lot to us. And so I figured if I didn't pray to God about it, he wouldn't talk to me about it, and he couldn't ask me to give it up because I'm a child, and I think that's the way things work. Um, the reason I felt this way uh, about our group is that um, actually the, the, the way that uh, we had come into the group was uh, pretty haphazard. Uh, the group had found itself in the middle of a year uh, without a leader. Hannah and I had been looking to start a new group. We'd been having trouble uh, finding people uh, that were willing uh, to start a new group. And uh, so I, I was, it was a Sunday, and I, I was with a few of the families from the group, and they were telling me uh, about who could possibly lead, and it was basically like none of us can possibly lead. And I was like, well, I don't believe that. And uh, finally, it just got to the point. I was like, you know what? Uh, we'll do it. Uh, but I was pretty reluctant uh, because uh, for, like, the, the most ridiculous reason ever, that is uh, the group met on Thursday nights. And uh, if you don't know anything about a pastor's uh, work schedule, is Thursday night's actually our Friday night. And there's a reason small groups don't meet on Friday nights, because nobody wants to give up their Friday night uh, to do the very thing that none of us like to do, and that is be around other people. And so I was like, well, I don't want to give up my Friday night. But I went home, and I told Hannah, I said, hey, uh, guess what? Thursday night, we're going to a group. And she was like, what? You, you just gave this up? And I was like, told her, said, hey, it's only temporary. We're only going to do this for a few months. We're going to help them get through uh, the end of the year, and then we're going to, you know, find somebody else uh, to lead this group. Um, and then COVID happened, and uh, we found ourselves uh, with the group. Uh, we found ourselves with a group where they were the only people that we got to see. Uh, we tried for a while on Zoom, figured out that was a terrible way to try to do group, and so we said, you know what, let's just get together. And so over the course of the months when nothing else was going on and everything was shut down, these were the people we saw week in and week out. Week out. Our, our group meeting times went from an hour and a half to three hours instantly. It wasn't that big of a deal because we had nowhere else to be. We had gone nowhere, we had been nowhere, we had seen no one. So three hours was actually kind of nice to just get to hang out and talk to people. 
as we were talking this last week uh, with the group, uh, we were saying it's been a year and a half that we've been with him, but it feels a whole lot longer. It feels a lot longer because of what I've gotten out of the group. It feels a lot longer for them because they had to listen to me every week. These are people that we've shared, we've shared a lot with over this last year and a half. I tried to share this with them Thursday night, and I just got choked up and told them I had to stop talking. We've laughed together. We've talked about how hard life is because as young parents, most of us, it's really hard. And then you throw in COVID and everything else. We've cried over how hard it is to trust God, especially when he puts us in places that we're not really sure we have what it takes to do what he's called us to. We've shared our doubts. We've built Ikea furniture together. We've discipled each other. We've challenged one another. We've prayed and stressed over major life transitions. I think since we've been in the group, every single couple has been praying about either moving or taking a new job in one way or another. We vacation with them. We've gone through COVID, wildfires, ice storms, and a presidential election together. We were a couple apocalypses short of a bingo. And maybe one of the big things, this is kind of understated, but one of the big things was our kids have loved it. Our kids would ask us, is it group tonight? Do we get to go to group? Our, our, it wasn't having to pull our kids there because this had become our family. I mean, they loved it so much that they would constantly, my oldest daughter, Eden, would constantly ask us if she could go to live with the Wilsons. We were driving around in the car uh, the other week, and uh, just out of nowhere, Eden goes, uh, Dad, what happens if you get pulled over and arrested? And I was like, well, I'm, I don't know. If it's bad enough, they'll arrest me, and they'll take me away, I guess. And she goes, would, would, they, would they arrest Mom, too? I was like, well, if it's a really bad thing, yeah, I guess so. And she's like, and would they l make us go live with somebody else? And I was like, well, yeah, if me and mom were arrested. She's like, would it be the Wilsons? <laughs> I said, Eden, is there something in my trunk? Like, what's going on here? <laughs> See, it's felt like to me and Hannah over the last year, we haven't given up our Thursday night. Our Thursday nights have been filled with something that we have found to be the most meaningful thing that has helped us that, for me and Hannah personally, has healed us. I'm not getting into too much details, but me and Hannah had come from a situation where we really questioned just, will we ever find true, real, authentic community while in ministry? It's because of all these reasons I did want to talk about our group with God. Um... I don't know, it was maybe like a few weeks later, a month later, and I was talking with Ed about starting uh, some new groups and people that we had in our church that weren't currently in community, and we were, we were just talking, and Ed said, well, if you have this many people and you think this many, it's healthy for this number of people to be in groups, it seems like you need this number of groups, and so how many people do you have identified to potentially start new groups? And I told him, he said, well, okay, you got that number, and then if this happens and that happens, and he goes, then if you leave your group and, you know, start a new group, and... I played it really cool because I was just like, he was like, do you, think, uh, do you think anybody in your group could lead your group? And I talked to him about it and everything. I don't think he picked up on how mad I was on the inside. I went home that night, though, and I just said to Hannah, I said, I think Ed's going to make us leave our group because um, I don't know if anybody ever feels this way, but Ed doesn't like to like, let you have the things you want, right? That's, yeah. Now I know how Ellie feels uh, all the time. 
And so I started praying. I started praying to God about Ed, and it turns out God wanted to talk to me about my group because he'd been trying to talk to me for a while about our group. Uh, he, he'd been trying to talk to me about things I think I knew, and, and I think I knew God was trying to say, and yet I was like, I'm not going to talk to you about this. And, and he said two things to me. He said, first, there's a need. There are people in your community that do not have community, and there's nowhere to put them. And they need that community. They need the very community that you yourself find that, that has been so healing and beneficial and important to you. Those people need that as well. And what's more is there are people that you're trying to reach in your larger community that if they ever come to your church, they need that community. And where are they going to go if there's not space and there's not room for them? The second thing was he told me there was a need. He showed me that there was a need even in our group, that there were people that needed to step up, needed to take a next step, needed to do something, take on responsibility. That was the next step in their growth. And he asked me to admit the hardest thing that I've had to admit in a really long time, and that was they will be better without me because he will give them what they need to step into something they don't feel equipped for or ready for yet. And they need to trust in him and not lean on me. As he was talking to us about this need, he's, he was very specific. It wasn't just, all oh, there's this many people in your church. He actually gave us three families. He brought three families to mind and said, talk to these people. Um, I, I came out from praying about this. I've been kind of wrestling with it for a week or so, and, and I told Hannah, I said, I think God is saying that we need to leave our group. And Hannah didn't say anything. I knew she wasn't happy. Um, in fact, I, I realized the other day she's never actually told me, yes, I, I agree with that too. So um, we have different plans on Thursday nights now. It's not like we were pumped about it. Um, it's not like once God said do it, we were just like, oh, thank goodness, we can finally get out of here. Um, but it's still the thing he wanted us to do. Um, I'd like to say it was like right then and there, I just made it official. But I said, you know what, God, okay, if this is the thing, you've given me these three couples, we'll talk to these three couples, but I have reasons to believe these people are not going to say yes. And when they don't say yes, I'm going back to my group. And I'm not going to talk to them about it because I don't need to blow that thing up yet. We met with the first couple. Uh, they're relatively new to the church, and we talked to them about it. And I was like, there's no way they're going to be into this. It's kind of forward. Uh, and they said, oh, man, we would love that. And what's more, we'd love the host. I talked to the second couple, and I knew that they wouldn't say yes because uh, they had a work schedule that didn't work out with things and didn't allow them to be in groups. And so I talked to them and said, well, you know what, my work's changing now, I'm in control of my schedule, and so yeah, we can come. We've been wanting to have community in the church for a really long time, and we haven't had it. And I talked to the third couple, and by that point, I knew what was up. And they said yes. And so then I found myself doing the thing that I didn't want to do, and that was saying we're going to leave our group so that we can hopefully be a part of bringing more community to more people. That actually, uh, there, uh, as these people said, yes, that there was an excitement about that because I could see what God was doing. And, and what's more is instead of saying, thank goodness we have this community with these five or six families, I get to say we have this community with these five or six families and we know God is growing that same community with more. And that he's opened up avenues now for space to invite people in, to invite them to the community, 
that we love, that we enjoy, that has been so healing and beneficial to us. And so I found myself meeting with a couple from our previous group and sitting down with them and saying, we're leaving our group, and I think it's time for you all to lead. And I think this is maybe what God's calling you to. I think maybe this is the reason why. I don't know. You guys pray about it. And they came back and they said, yeah, we think that's the next step for us too. And we'll be better off without you. <laughs> the amazing thing is, is like, I, I think this would normally be a story. Me and I were talking about this this morning. This would normally be a story where you would say, it's going to be hard. It's going to be sacrificial. It, it's going to call you to give up the thing that you value the most. And who knows if it will work out. Uh, this last week, um, we told our group we were leaving our group. And we started a brand new group. On Wednesday, I got a text from someone in our previous group, and they said, you know, I've been discipling this person. They're not a part of the church. Could I invite them to the group? I said, man, that'd be great, because guess what? We're not going to be there anymore, and it'll be much better for them that way. And then that morning, Thursday morning, as I was getting ready that night to let our group know what God had told us and what we were doing and how hard that was going to be. I met with a couple and I talked to them and they're newer to the church. And I said, you know, I think one thing that'd be great for you guys is to get involved with a small group this fall. And they said, yeah, we think that'd be great too. And I said, what nights work for you? And they said, Thursday nights. And I said, I have a great group for you guys. God not only has brought people and included people in a group that we're forming, he has created space behind us that the community that we know is amazing is going to be shared with people that are coming into our midst. I told him, I said, it's an amazing group. I can't say enough things about them, but I swear if you screw it up, I will hunt you down. <laughs> this last week, as we told our new group um, that we were leaving, I found myself, uh, after everything was over, just kind of lingering there because I didn't want to leave. Um, knowing that, that as we drove away, that was going to be the last time that we were meeting with them as a part of that group. Yet we drove away knowing. I told them as we left, I said, no matter where we go, we know, and I hope you guys know, how much you matter to us and how deep our love is for you. Because you are our brothers and sisters, not because we meet every week, but because we have Jesus Christ. And I am so thankful and excited for how God is growing the community that we have had over this last year and a half, to see what it has done for us individually, me and Hannah, in our, in our life over just 18 months, and to know that more people are going to have that as well is an amazing thing. And I give God the glory for that. Glad there's some room. My kids have been asking to join that group, so we'll be there Thursday night, Wilsons. Um, no, I, you know, if you've, I, I, this is a really long morning. It's not normal. Oh, well, it's Vision Sunday. We were going to try and do it in one week. What would that have been like? You know, they, maybe this morning we talk about community and you're sitting here going, I don't, I'll be honest, I don't experience that. That's not something I've experienced. The way you're talking about it, the things you're talking about, it's not something that's been a part of my life. And for you, community is so vitally important. Like, uh, following Jesus is not a thing that you're supposed to do in isolation. You may have been a part of 
church for a long time, may have been a part of many churches, and you may feel like even as Matt was describing, he had yet to experience real biblical Christian community in the way that he had heard about in Scripture and heard about from other people. If that's you, then I want to encourage you to follow us as we try to build this kind of community, to make that a reality and to make the sacrifices that are required for that to happen. Uh, many of you have experienced that and you're enjoying that and you're appreciating it. And as we talk about it this morning, you're like, you don't have to talk about it this much. I get it. I like it. It's a part of my life. But as Matt's describing for you, the challenge is, can you let it go? Can you actually open up community for the sake of other people? Or can you leave community for the sake of other people? Because this is what we're meant to be as the church, is a group of people who have this great news of the gospel and are constantly asking how we can include other people into it and bring other people into it. Let me pray. We'll continue to worship and move on this morning. Father, we thank you for who you are. And we thank you for the fact that you call us to something, even though it's hard And we want to fight against it so much, which is you call us to be with each other. You call us to the mess that is community. You call us to to break down the barriers and stop making the excuses and to step out of our comfort zones and to begin living life in the midst of other people, Lord. God, we thank you that you show up there that you give us the courage and the ability to make that happen. God, we pray that this would be a church that builds genuine community and is actually using that to reach an entire community, God. Would you give us the courage, those of us who really need it right now, to step out in faith away from the community we've even been comfortable with, to think about the needs of other people and welcoming them in, Lord. We can only do these things because of who you are and how big you are. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.